Welcome back, everybody. It's the Betting Pros CFB Show. I am Scott Bogman. Follow me on the Twitter at Bogman Sports. I am joined, as always, by Thor Nystrom at ThorKU on the Twitter machine. We are in week nine already. It is moving and a shaking right now. So we got a lot of stuff to talk about. We got Thursday and Friday games for you. We got a bunch of games with 95% cash on one side or on one side of the total. And then the top five games of the week, plus whatever else the war wants to throw out out to us. So uh, we got a lot to hit today. So we're going to dive right in here, Thor. I'm going to lay out these Thursday and Friday games. You tell me uh, how you feel about any of them. On Thursday, we got Southern Miss minus one versus Louisiana. 43 is the total on that one. We also have number 24, NC State, as a 13.5-point home favorite against Vatek. 39.5 is the total on that one. Very low. Number 14, Utah, is a seven-point home favorite against Washington State. 55 is the total on that one. And then Friday, we've got FIU plus 6.5 at home versus Louisiana Tech. 57 is the total there. And BYU minus three at home versus East Carolina, 62 is the total. Do you have a good lean on any of these uh, weekend games here, or these weekday games here, excuse me? Yeah, I got a couple of leans, and then I, I got one official play. Um, a, a couple of my stronger leans both occur in the same game of Louisiana against uh, Southern Miss. Uh, the, the market is clearly behind Southern Miss in this game, and I agree with it. I think Southern Miss matches up really well in this game. They number one, shut down opposing running games really well, and they create a whole bunch of havoc on defense as well. I think that matches up really well against this Louisiana offense where if you can make the Raging Cajuns one-handed on offense this year, uh, you can just nullify their entire offense. The The question will become, can Southern Miss score enough points with theirs to, to, yeah. to, win, to win the game? Because obviously the, the spread probably will not come into play in this one, but I'm going to trust them enough to, at least as far as a lean goes, but, I mean, you know, I'm talking about um, offensive questions on both sides of the ball. Defense is matching up well. Goes in line with my my next lean as well. I lean under in this game. My my system's total on this game is 38.5. Live, it's 43. I, I definitely like the under because both the offenses match up so well against the opposing offense. So I'm, I'm going to take this to be a low-scoring game where Southern Miss ekes it out. My, but my official play for the, the pre-Saturday games, it's on East Carolina um, getting – three and a half, I guess, at BYU. Um, the market does not seem to have caught up to how solid ECU is. They certainly have not caught up to how bad BYU <laughs> is, especially BYU's uh, defense. Um, last week, one of my one of my best plays was taking ECU plus five at home against UCF and ECU bolt raised them. They match up really well in this game or in, in that game. I don't know that they match up quite as well against BYU, but they match up well enough, certainly with the value that we're gaining, to trust them. The The line right now is BYU minus 3.5. My adjusted line in this game is ECU minus 4.3. ECU can both run the ball and pass the ball on defense. They can be multiple, and BYU can't defend either of them. Whereas on, on defense, ECU, is, their run defense is really good, where you can get them potentially through the pass. Jaron Hall is going to have to throw a billion times in this game because BYU ain't running the ball on ECU. But again, getting those three and a half points um, with a team that I objectively think is undervalued against a team I objectively think is overvalued. <laughs> there's great value on ECU, and I'm taking ECU. I like that one. The only thing that scares me away is BYU being at home. Any concern there? A little bit, yeah. I mean, like, you know, going into altitude in a place where there should be a home field advantage 
Um, certainly it's a factor. BYU, you wonder how much their home crowd is going to be jazzed up for this game when BYU season is already lost. Right. That, that's another that's factor. But for sure, ECU going into altitude is, is something that you have to consider. But ECU has depth. And again, on especially you know on offense, their ability to be multiple, I just don't see how BYU is going to keep ECU off of schedule. Last week, BYU gave up. It wasn't just the best game that Liberty third-string quarterback Jonathan Bennett had ever played. <laughs> it's that there's no game even comparable, close to it, where you could even compare it to. Uh, Jonathan Bennett, I don't believe he had ever thrown for more than 200 yards against an FBS opponent, even though he had started against them before. He barely had an incomplete pass. He was like 23 for 27 or like something like that. Um, BYU's defense is really, really bad, and the efficiency problems are going to become more pronounced here against ECU. Again, a team not only that can be multiple, but they, they, they can consistently cut you with paper cuts if that's what you let them do, and that's what BYU's defense facilitates. So I, I, I like ECU in this game. I won't consider it an upset if and when they win, but I, I like ECU. The, the only thing you're concerned about is a potential letdown spot of them coming off the, the UCF game. And then you have this weird game where it's like, it's not a conference game, like scheduled in the middle of it in altitude, but that qualitatively, again, just comparing these two teams on paper, I feel like I have enough of a, of leeway there against what the perception of this line is where I, I'm just going to roll with it with ECU. Yeah, I, uh, I understand that. And I love the point of uh, look, BYU is already dead. So college kids, you know, they'll find something else to do on a Friday night for sure. Uh, if the team is already kind of out of it. So, uh, I really like that. I'm going to give you these, um, uh, teams with the games that are 95% cash or more leaning on one side. I don't want to go through all of them here, Thor, because we have five, uh, spreads and six total. So I'm just going to list them off and you pick one or two, uh, that you like here. So we'll start, start out with the spread, uh, Miami minus two at Virginia is a 96% cash UAB minus five and a half versus FAU uh, Arizona state minus 13 and a half at home against Colorado, North Texas plus 10 at Western Kentucky and USC laying 15 and a half points on the road against Arizona. All of those teams have 95% more or the cash on their side. Uh, only one team taking points here. Uh, what stands out to you out of that group? Well, we talked about the Miami Virginia uh, game in our in the last hour that we do, where it's live on Discord, and <laughs> that game I I cannot make heads or tails of it. Um, if, if Miami was at full strength, I would be apt to uh, it, it, at least trust them as far as the ticket goes. But they're decidedly not. Like they had like eight starters out for their last game, where they uh, had the most turnovers in any game since like the late '90s when they played Duke. Oof. Eight turnovers in that game. And it looks like Jake Garcia is going to be starting for them, at least at this point, that Tyler Van Dyke will be out. And it's not just that. Like, they had three off starting offensive linemen that were out for the last game. And like I said, numerous other guys at other positions. How many of those guys are you going to get back? Is, is Garcia going to be playing? If Garcia is, were those just numerous turnovers against Duke, were they attributable to – oh, I didn't think I was going to be playing, and now I am, and yada, yada. Or is it like, so you're just not good? Um, we'll have to see about that. Hard to trust them either way. Um, but after I trusted Virginia last week and, and won, I, again, short attack, it's hard for me to go to that well again because of how limited that team is, especially with how bad 
their offensive line is. And that was the particular thing that that turned me away from potentially trying to fade Miami because of their health issues is Virginia's worst thing is their offensive line. Miami's best thing is their defensive front. So that is a huge mismatch regardless of Miami's other injury concerns. But again, the questions on both sides of that thing makes it a stay away for me. The UAB game against FAU, UAB matches up really well against FAU. And I 1,000% would have had UAB as a play in my column this week if I thought Hopkins was playing, the, the quarterback for UAB. Um, I, I, it's not just that I can't be assured that he is or is not. It's, a, it's looking like he's not. Right. Certainly, certainly that's what the market is telling us with this line and, and the way that it opened and then the progression of it since then. If we get Jacob Zeno, Zeno can move around a little bit. But he can't throw yet. He's super raw in the pocket. His placement and accuracy is bad. It's the reason that they it's well, it's the reason they didn't not only cover but also beat Western Kentucky. Like, yeah, I, I think Hopkins is two throws. Like before he got knocked out, he had like 63 yards of the first two throws. Zeno comes in, it goes like three for nine for like 20 yards and an interception. Yeesh. Like Western Kentucky was not concerned about Zeno throwing the ball whatsoever. And UAB's offense ground to a halt after that even though Dwayne McBride ran for nearly 200 yards. I, I don't have it right in front of me, but he, he was in the 190s one way or the other. So UAB's running game was still working. It's just they couldn't throw. And the concern is if Hopkins isn't playing in this game, you're going to get a redo of that where UAB just isn't going to be able to pass. But if you get good news about Hopkins, absolutely take UAB. Because, um, again, they do match up well on paper. It's just are they going to be dragged down numerous points because yeah. you're, you're, you're going from the one to the other. Um, the one play I do have of, of these games you mentioned, um, and it's not a surprise to me that the Sharps like this side. I love Arizona state as well. Me too, man. Yeah. I just Colorado, they got their, uh, you know, dead cap bounce win, whatever you want to call it. You know, uh, they got that, but they're still awful. You know, ASU has been going through their struggles too, but Colorado is like bottom of the barrel bad. Right. Yeah, and I think people are going to, like, tend to um, – or, you know, maybe there could be a thought of, like, association between the two because Arizona State has had some double-digit uh, outright upset wins since they fired Herm, and Colorado had that big one against Cal where they were a double-digit favorite. But there's – to me, there's a really big difference between the two, which is Arizona State has played consistently well since firing Herm. It's Some of the results didn't go in their way, but they played well. Like, right. the, the Stanford game – they uh, Arizona State soundly outplayed Stanford. Absolutely should have won that game. But wonky offensive play calling led to them losing, especially late, led to them losing 15 to 14 by one point. Um, Sean Aguayo, the, the interim head coach for Arizona State, has decided to remove the former offensive play caller from his <laughs> post after that game. And, and he's going to take over. And he he was uh, um, in, in high school. You know, he, he was a long time, just uber successful high school coach. In Arizona, he did the play calling mostly there in high school. So at least, you know, I mean, like against the other no name that they had, who was clearly not calling plays very well, you would at least, it, it at least can't be considered a downgrade and perhaps, it right. be, it, you know, it, it's going to be an upgrade, but the uh, effort from the Arizona state side has been there since they fired Herm. Whereas with call, here's the difference, Colorado, they had the one game where they upset Cal. And that was great. Good for you, Colorado. Outside of that, Colorado has not posted a, a post-game win expectancy above 0% since 
in any of their other games. Oh, man. They've just been getting slaughtered oh. week in and week out outside yeah. of this one aberration, which, by the way, was not their last game. They returned to be in Colorado last time out. <laughs> Arizona, these two teams are on sort of opposite trajectories. It also seems like Aguayo is like really using this as a, I hope I'm pronouncing his name right, really using this as an audition. Like, I mean, you can tell, like that guy wants to be up in front of the media, not in an ostentatious way, but of, of like a, I belong as a head coach kind of a way. Hey, yeah, get recruits too. Be confident. Why Absolutely. Not? Why yeah. Not? Whereas on the Colorado side, it's, uh, you, have, you, have, you have 12 guys walking the green mile right now and who don't seem super <laughs> excited about it. Neither does the team. The Colorado's like the rest of the season, it's it's a throwaway. So I'm, right. I'm, I'm, I'm definitely going to lay the points of the Arizona State there. Colorado, They're- by the way, one of three teams, one in six against the spread. You, can you name the other two? That's my question, Thor. Uh, one in six, bad, bad teams against the spread. Uh, I'll give you, I'll give you one well, hint. Well, Virginia moved out of that by beating. Yeah. Yeah. Virginia. I'll give you one hint. They're both in the ACC. You got it. Well, it's not Georgia Tech. It, Miami nope. is Miami. Miami is one. Um, who's the other one? This is good. I like trying to stump Thor here. Uh, ACC it, bad team. Is is it Virginia Tech? Boston College. Oh. BC. Okay. BC. Um, but BC against UConn this week. Uh, I, I hope. <laughs> I, I would love for Jim Moore to, up- <laughs> to win that game. And by the way, it seems like the market feels like he might, because uh, that line has been curiously plummeting down. But anyhow, something to keep uh, your eye on. All right, let's go to the uh, totals, right? You done with the spreads? Anything more on those spreads? Uh, um, yeah, as, as far as the North Texas WKU game, that's going to be a yellow game of a bunch of points uh, on the side. It, it's hard for me to go either way on that one. Sure. Um, USC, Arizona is, to me, that line seems pretty fair. It's interesting to me that Arizona is the public team and USC is the sharp side. You yeah. would not have you would not have anticipated that, but USC's lines have been a bit depressed uh, this year, but Arizona can't play offense. The total of that game has been just, it's like one of those stonks. 70 from the, and a the half. Stocks. It just keeps going up and up and up. The stonks. Yeah. Yeah. But like both <laughs> the offensive profile really well against the opposing defense. You're going to see a whole bunch of super long touchdowns in that game. So, uh, but, but because of how high the total has gotten, I, I can't touch that one. So that one's a stay away from me overall. Uh, and then we have uh, six games with the total uh, that have 95% of cash or more on them. And five of these six are unders Nebraska, Illinois, under 50 and a half, Texas A&M, Ole Miss, under 54 and a half, six, number 16, Syracuse versus Notre Dame, under 48, Boise State versus Colorado State, under 43, Hawaii versus Wyoming, under 50 and a half. And the one over that we have is Navy versus Temple over because it's so low at 40 and a half so do any of those stand out to you in that grouping thor i investigated the under of the nebraska illinois game extremely hard this week because both defenses again match up really well against the opposing offenses it's just the line of that one from where the circa open it plummeted to the point where it's like it's hard for me to ascertain line value with where it is even though game script wise and on-field matchup i i lean the under but like the margins became too close with how because it, it dropped like five and a half six points from where where it had initially at circa you know which we right. again we talked about in the previous hours like 
they're the one-off that puts it out. And then every other book uses the data they get from where the sharps sure. are batting it around there to set theirs. But like that thing, that thing came heavily down to the point where like, I, I felt like it was in, uh, you know, the, the realm of realism where it becomes harder to, to feel like you're getting pregame value on it. So I, I didn't end up making one of that, one of my plays, although I, I, I do have a ticket on it on the side, but like where, where it is right now, I, I just can't touch it. Um, the Syracuse and Ole Miss, uh, or uh, Syracuse and Ole Miss, the, the Ole Miss and Texas A&M game, the under of that one, um, spoiler alert, that's an official play for me. I, lo- <laughs> I love the under of that game. Like that's one I've been all over since, since the thing opened, I was on the under of Ole Miss LSU last week and also on, on LSU on the side, but I, I'm, I'm returning to the well to go under on Ole Miss, which by definition, it's contrarian because Lane Kiffin, his offenses are always top five uh, in tempo. This year, it, it's literally number one to this point. And you typically associate it with like all these points scored and whatnot. Well, Jackson Dart hasn't been good, though. They've been running the ball with all those plays. That's so. it. Like they're they're They still have the number one tempo, but they're Jackson Dart has thrown now five interceptions in the four SEC games, even though they haven't played like any of the, the super duper powers. He, he's still not playing well averaging uh his completion percentage is just over 50 percent against the three comp against the three non-vanderbilt opponents on the SEC schedule um to this point and you have all the interceptions as well and like he he hasn't even gotten to 225 yards per game in those three games um that that you know the non-vanderbilt ones um lane kiffin clearly does not trust his passing attack even, I mean, near, nearly as much as he used to trust Matt Corral. So they they have leaned so heavily into the running game. I looked this up this week where uh, Ole Miss is, if you omit the option teams, Ole Miss, I believe, is number five in the nation in run rate for non-option teams. So they're leaning just so heavily into that. And they're going to do it even more in this game because AM's defensive strength, it's their pass defense. So, so Ole Miss is certainly going to lean into the running game. AM, they don't really have another way to lean outside of into their running game. Their their quarterback, you know, are we going to get the limited veteran Haynes King in this game? Are we going to get the the super raw shouldn't be on the field yet? Connor Wiegman, true freshman in this game. We don't know yet. Either way, they're they don't have talent at receiver and their quarterbacks are not good. That's just the way that it is. <laughs> and their one offensive playmaker at this point, after Anaya Smith got knocked out for the season. Devin Achain, Achain, his biggest question with his NFL eval is how many touches he can handle because he's he's a small explosive running back. Um, AM gives him as many as he can handle, and I hope he was eating his Wheaties this week because they are going to be giving him the ball early, often, and as you know, until the the, the gun sounds, whatever. Both in the running game and in the passing game. Outside of that, AM can do very very little um, on on offense. So you're going to see both teams lean into that that running game. You're going to see an ever-running clock. Ole Misses, yes, they run at the number one tempo in college football. That is true. Texas A&M is bottom five in the nation in their adjusted tempo. So that sort of nullifies that from, from a tempo perspective. And there's reasons to believe that A&M is going to be very competitive in this game and that they could sort of assert their will as opposed to vice versa on this one. So I'm, I'm going to take the under on that one. For That's sure. going to be one of mine too. And, and, you know, we disagreed. We talked about the, and we'll get to it a little bit later in the show. We disagree on Tennessee, Kentucky, but I always like it when we reaffirm something. And I absolutely love this under too. Uh, one of my favorites. It's just, yeah, no, 
you know, a rush first good offense versus non-existent offense usually uh, will get you towards the under there. What yeah. else from the totals do you like, Thor? The uh, it's interesting that the market is on the under of a Boise State, Colorado State, just because to me, both those offenses have ticked up since. Well, one was a was a quarterback change by by their own hand with Boise State, um, <laughs> getting in that tail on Green kid and, and kicking out Hang Bachmeyer, and they've been more interesting on offense since then, right? Because instead of having a pocket passer who couldn't hit the broadside of the barn the first couple games, now you have a dual threat who, I mean, at, at the peak of Bachmeyer's power, is Taylon Green does not have his accuracy in placement. He certainly not at the peak of his powers earlier this season, but Taylon Green <laughs> he can run either way. So it's like, right. um, you know, it's like the, the adage in baseball of like, uh, you know, pitching travels or whatever it is, right. uh, the, the running output that you get out of your quarterback, it translates every game, regardless of how well they're throwing. And so they, they do have that now. That's um, the worry, isn't it? It's like just Boise state. Cause Colorado state's been so rough, uh, that they just overpower and get the majority of this total themselves. Right. For sure. For sure. But also Colorado state is not going to be shut out in this game. I'll go on record and say that um, <laughs> the Colorado state has gotten way more healthy these past, you know, two, three weeks, both on their offensive line, but also getting clay Millen back. And that was really big for them this past week, getting their starting quarterback Millen back because the replacement quarterbacks that we had seen before were just about as rough as any replacement quarterback we've seen this year. And, we have seen a whole lot. There has been a yeah. whole lot of quarterback injuries and Colorado state's it's worst guys, offensive sorry. line play around the country. It feels like, you know, There's uh, some I don't, know. I don't want to go on a soapbox or anything, but it looks yeah. like we got some battle line play here. Yeah. That, so. But that one, I, I, I'm not sure that I would touch the, the Syracuse Notre Dame one. Um, I agree with where the money is going on that one, even though it's not an official play for me, Notre Dame's offense. We know it's things. Um, the, the, I would be going under on all the Notre Dame player props, except for one, <laughs> uh, which is mayor and mayor has been sort of money in the bank as far as like his over receiving props anyway, but Syracuse, I, I went back and I looked through the box scores. They have not been good against opposing tight ends where Syracuse, Syracuse is good in their secondary, like their outside boundary corners. Mm -hmm. Um, the tight ends have found a way to, to gouge Syracuse. It's some work. Yeah, exactly. And I, I'm, nobody has a matchup for Michael Mayer. So I'm not going to be like, Oh, Syracuse doesn't like as a way to sort of nullify the rest of their place. Cause literally nobody does, but Syracuse isn't even equipped to address what Michael Mayer does. So you would expect uh, Notre Dame to kind of pound him with targets or whatever. But like on the other side, uh, Notre Dame should be able to suppress like the smoke and mirror of Syracuse passing offense enough where it's all going to hinge on the running game. And of course, that's going to be the primary concern of the Notre Dame defense. But that's where uh, the positive gains from Syracuse should come from. And it's going to keep the clock running and running and running. So I, I would expect the chess match that goes under um, in that one. The other ones, we have bad offenses going against each other um, that, you know, like Hawaii, Wyoming is just right. two bad, bad, bad ones. The um, I, I've seen some people go over on on Notre on uh, Navy and Temple. Um, the only thing that concerns me about that one is Temple, of course, is an abomination of a of a team and a program. The one thing that this team can do, they only got one thing, and it's stopping the run. Um, it, so you're going to go over on one of their games. You know they can't play offense. Uh, 
that one is where it sort of loses me where I, I don't have a play on it either way, but I don't want to play because I would have to watch Navy Temple. Like that is the main reason why I don't want to play that game. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, for sure. Yeah. I, I'm not sure that I'm going to watch it either, but I mean, we, we I mean gambling can make any game fun, but I mean, come on, there's there, other games to gamble on. There right? was one game where I, you know, I didn't have, I, this wasn't a play for me, like in, in my column, but like I, I did bet it like personally trying to trust the temple run defense against a good rushing offense against UCF. And that did not turn out very well. So if, I mean, if you're just sort of trusting that rotely and sort of discounting the rest of the handicap, at least that was one anecdotal time where it, it decidedly did not work out. So it, it, it made it a little bit more difficult for me to sort of trust Temple and their good run defense and their crappy everything else against run only teams. Otherwise, you know, I, I'm who knows. I, I may have been back in uh, Temple in this game, but um, that makes it tough. Yeah, absolutely. Let's go to the uh, top five games of the week and the biggest one. Everybody knows that it's an early game. Number two, Ohio State, 18 and a half point road favorites at number 13, Penn State. 61 is the total in this game, Thor. How do you see it going? I'm definitely not laying those points with uh, Ohio State being over 14. I just can't do it. My just a line in this game is. Uh, Ohio State minus 13.9. There's also the thing of in recent hi history, even though Penn State has not been upsetting Ohio State, they've been keeping these games close. I, I think in the last three, Ohio State's won all three, but the, the average margin of victory has been 11 points. Um, I, I sort of see something similar here. And for me, it's just, it's a total lean. I'm not touching this game with a 10-foot ball. <laughs> but if I was forced to, and you're going to give me more than two two touchdowns with Penn State at home against this Ohio State team, I, I would take that. Jackson Smith and Jigba has basically been erased from the Ohio State offense. And, you know, mostly because he of, was not 100%. He, he, oh, he definitely not. Yeah. He, definitely, he definitely not 100%. And, and, and to Ohio State's credit, they have overcome that, right? Like, they have the number one EPA per pass offense in the nation anyway. I believe they're also number two EPA in run. So Ohio State's uh, offense is you know, managed to remain awesome, 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 even though they have unexpectedly mostly been without the, the services of their projected round one, top 10, top 15, however you want to say it, receiver in Jack Smith and Jigba, mostly because uh, Marvin Harrison is going to be the top receiver taken in the next draft. <laughs> kid, kid's an absolute stud. But as far as getting that many points at home with Penn State, recent history, everything else like that, I would, I would lean the contrarian play with Penn State at home and taking the points. All right, the next game up is the other big one. Number three, Tennessee, 12.5-point home favorites. I guess number 19, Kentucky, 62.5 is the total here. I think we at least are both on the over in this game. I just like Tennessee. You like Kentucky, so uh, let, let's hear it. Yeah, th this is where a disagreement comes. I, I'm taking the points with Kentucky. I think that they're a live dog in, in this game, and this is coming from someone who has – profited and trusted Tennessee more than most. I, I think like, <laughs> yes. I, I called for their upset of Alabama um, a couple of weeks ago and th then they turn around and they even covered against an FCS opponent last week where like that was a sort of the classic letdown spot, et cetera. Um, I don't think Kentucky is a good matchup uh, for Tennessee um, for a couple of different reasons. First of all, qualitatively, you look around at like people as different, their system, you know, the, 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 the spread that their system spits out or, or just the sort of ancillary stats. Keep in mind that Kentucky has not been on full strength on offense for literally any game this season until now. 
this is the first game all season where you're, you're going to get 100% healthy and active. Will Levis and Chris Rodriguez playing together. Chris Rodriguez is suspended in September, the first four games of the season. And then right after that, Will Levis suffers his turf toe injury. So these guys have just not been at 100% together yet. Kentucky's offensive stats are not as good as they will be going forward, period, end of story. Um, when you bake in the the work that the quarterback, too, who is not good at all, what were he at him when he was playing when they lost to South Carolina, et cetera. You have those two guys in now. And then the Kentucky defense, like if, if you look like the defense against the offense, the offense against the defense, the Kentucky defense is nearly as good as Tennessee's offense, right? Yes. Like n- not to the degree perhaps of nullifying it, but certainly to the gr- degree of forcing more punts out of Tennessee than other opponents have. Uh, Tennessee, we, we were talking about this last hour. Tennessee yeah. has only averaged 1.4 punts per game. Um, if they don't, if Tennessee does not punt this ball at least two times on Saturday, I will be beyond floored. And then, the, 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 so I mean, like, that's what you have to do, right? Because right. if, if Tennessee is just humming, 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 you got to slow them down. Yeah, you're you're the roadrunner who, who's run over. But the other thing is Tennessee's only singular weakness as a team it's their pass defense. They're awesome on offense. Their run defense is really good, but they get, consistently get ripped up in the passing game. Last three, or I'm sorry, last four opponents have all thrown for more than 300 yards against them, two, including an FCS team. Two of those opponents have gone over 400 yards against them, uh, Anthony Richardson and Bryce Young. Um, and they just leave openings back there. Their secondary is not as good as the rest of the team. Will Levis, this is a prime NFL draft showcase opportunity. I expect them to take advantage of it. I think Kentucky puts a scare into Tennessee. I'm not going to go as far as to say the outright upset. But I think they match up really well. I think they're better than people think. And I think this is is a spot to potentially ambush Tennessee. My quick points just to, uh, you know, uh, give the other side. So you have both devils on your shoulder or, or whatever in this game is that I think. Um, and really, I think what this boils down to is who controls pace. And uh, Tennessee, bad in uh, time of possession. They're scoring. They're the only team averaging over 50 points. And the, I believe they're 120 at the time of possession, 26 minutes per game because they score so fast. They don't have to hold on to the ball, which is something that, you know, Kentucky, it works in there. You would think it w- works in their favor because they have, I think they're top 10 in time of possession, but it, you know, Tennessee doesn't have to hold the ball very long to score, at least against other teams. Kentucky might be the toughest defense that they face here, but I think that this game, it all goes on who controls the script. You know, if Tennessee is out there scoring, you're going to force Kentucky into passes, which is why, and, and I know your your stats are all adjusted for garbage time, but I think all teams facing Tennessee have to go in with the mindset of, we're going to have to put points up on the board because no matter how good we play defensively, you know, we just saw them put up 52 on Alabama. They put up 40 on LSU. Like this team is going to score the only team in the nation scoring 50 points. So Kentucky uh, has given up 26 sacks already this year. And I know there's been hit or miss with, uh, you know, if Levis is out there, if the backup is out there, whatever. Right. But you can't get in a position. You can't, if you're Kentucky, you can't get down early with that offensive line. That's not great against a pass rush. Tennessee doesn't have a great defense, but they'll get after you. If you, if you let any defense will get after you, if you let them pin their ears back and rush after the quarterback every single play. So I just, it really depends on who is in control of uh, the, the pace of the game. I think it's going to be Tennessee because it has been against everyone. They put up uh, every single team they faced has given up the most points 
to Tennessee out of any opponent they face. I think that trend is going to continue. So that's why I'm on uh, the opposite side. Uh, but we've got three other games oh, here. And, and Bogwitz, just Please. one other thing, a prop yeah. angle. And, and we don't, unfortunately, unlike NFL, we don't get our prop line super early because they, the books, yeah. know that, the books know that we will heavily take advantage of them <laughs> if, if they do that. Um, but, but a couple angles. So I don't know the number. I'm, I'm just tossing this sure. out theoretically. I would go the over on any of Levis's passing props, and I would go the under on any of Rodriguez's rushing props. Because, again, Rodriguez is going into the teeth of the strength of the Tennessee defense, whereas Levis gets the passing, regardless of the And way also, if it goes, right? like, it, yeah, if Tennessee gets an early lead, Kentucky's going to pass more, leaving the run game, you know, uh, to toil there. But however the game script goes, I expect Levis to have a big game. I mean, yeah, whether they're losing they have to throw from behind or whether they're just playing well and winning. Yeah, he's it's, a good it's, quarterback. It, yeah, yeah it's, he it's, it's, it's through him. Whereas, again, Rodriguez, I do think the Tennessee, I'm not going to say bottle him up, but they can certainly uh, address him to the to the point where um, the odds would say he's going to go up, under whatever the rushing total they put out is. Yeah. I, and Jalen Hyatt, once again, I, I, I mentioned this in, in the article, so please read it. But Jalen Hyatt, uh, who leads the nation in receiving touchdowns with 12, going up against the, the slot corner for Kentucky is a freshman safety that they've been using there and on most snaps. They, they don't, he's not the only guy. They mix guys in and out. Uh, and so maybe something will change here. But in general, freshman safety against Jalen Hyatt, don't like that matchup either. So uh, maybe uh, Hyatt on the uh, the over for his receiving yards possibility if it's not insane uh, when we get to that prop bet. Uh, the other three games here, it's kind of hard to pick. We have one other ranked on rank, number 22, Kansas State, minus a point and a half uh, versus number nine, OK State, 56 and a half is the total there. We got number seven, TCU, is seven and a half point road favorites against West Virginia, 69 is the total there. And number 15, Ole Miss, uh, minus two and a half at Texas A&M, 54 and a half is the total on that game. So um, we have already kind of talked about Ole Miss and A&M. Uh, tell me about TCU in the Kansas State OK State game. Yeah, the TCU, I, I like personally, I lean to that side and they're certainly going to be able to badly exploit what is a really, really bad West Virginia secondary. But also like on the other side of it, just sort of checking yourself. This is a really bad situational spot for TCU. You're going into a spot where they have the great home field advantage. You've seen West Virginia. I mean, not just this year, but going back in the past, play way above when, when they're playing at home. Um, and TCU to this point objectively has benefited from a series of fortunate events to get here. The injuries on the other side uh, to, to the other teams, like they've gotten really, you don't want to say lucky to discount it. What, what TCU has done. Cause they've been awesome. And it's, they've it's gotten good bounces. They, they, they've sure. got, yeah. And, and, and in this game, West Virginia appears to be close to a hundred percent. So even though like my system says that line is a little bit low and I would certainly agree with it in a vacuum, tough situational spot and the opponent, uh, if they're at full strength, you'd think they'd be able to perhaps keep this one closer. Um, it, it is going to be a jacked up atmosphere in West Virginia that for, for that game. So that one, I'm just going to stay away from for those reasons. The Kansas State Oklahoma State game, it's it's one where I had a couple different leans, pretty heavy leans, and I just couldn't get there because of the health status questions, uh, especially on the Kansas State side. Spencer Sanders, he was the one we were talking about all, all his health stuff last week. He ends up playing against Texas. Oklahoma State is able to come back and and win that game from behind. Um, yeah, don't perhaps, know it. 
Yeah. Perhaps I, I, I was just going to say it for you, Bogman, benefiting from some some referee uh, preferential treatment on the one side. I think it was fourteen to nothing in terms of the penalties. Mm. I, I, I'm not sure I want to get you going on on that one, but uh, yeah. Can, can, I, look, I'm, I'm so not many. gonna. I'm not a look. I, you know, I, I my I have weird allegiances, right? My dad's whole side of the family is from Pittsburgh. I'm from Texas, so I watch the Steelers in the NFL. I watch Texas in in the pros. And watching the Steelers in Super Bowl forty. I'll never complain about the referees again, right? Like, you know, uh, we got good calls in that game. Uh, it worked out. So I thought just for my karma, I can never complain about referees in a game again. Did I see some stuff that was maybe a little questionable? Sure. But you can't put yourself in a position to let the referees beat you. That's no. just what it boils down to. So 1,000%. Yeah. Yeah. But like, I mean, whether that was like, you don't see a discrepancy like that in most games. So whether it was just like that was a fluke where it was we stopped for Texas and Alabama. I mean, uh, Texas well, that's had that's like two or three and Alabama had 16. Alabama's dead last yeah. in, in uh, college. I think maybe not after last week, but they're still it's really bad. It hard to overcome that. Right. Yeah. And now Oklahoma State, they get that upset, a big time upset, come from behind, et cetera. Now you got to turn around. This is not a great situational spot for them. Yes. My my system certainly prefers Kansas State. And I would definitely prefer Kansas State if I knew the health statuses of all their different guys. Martinez. But in the last game, yeah. yeah, Martinez got knocked out. Then the backup, Will Howard, he eventually gets knocked out as well. He was able to come back in. But, like, he's not 100%. I mean, they even put him on the injury report. Deuce Vaughn had gotten knocked out at one point in that game. Numerous defenders. Multiple guys in the secondary. Their top linebacker go on and on and on. Kansas State has all these different injuries. If if Kansas State was 100% in this spot going against 100% Oklahoma State, I'm taking Kansas State. And not only that, I'm taking the under as well. But because of all these different questions – I don't know who's starting a quarterback. Just for stay Kansas away. State. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and some of these defenders, I don't know who's going to be back or not. I, I know what the injury report is. I know what the coaches want us to believe, but I don't trust any of those guys. So for, for this one, I just had to stay away, even though my leans again were Kansas state and the under on this game. I had to stay away because of the, the uncertain injury stuff. As far as the old Miss Texas A&M game, uh, just personally, like from my observations, I would lean old Miss, but circumstantially plus my system, heavily leans towards Texas A&M. This is a really <laughs> bad spot for Ole Miss, a really, really bad spot. You're, you're you know, like the, the last game, you you get deflated for the first time. They, they played this bad schedule to get there, um, and then they, they go into LSU. They were doing okay in the first half and then just got absolutely walloped in the second half where both the, their hands got tied around their back. At the end of the game, Lane Kiffin, who has become famous this season for tacking on garbage points at the end of games, to, to, to try to cover these spreads and go over and stuff like that. He, he, he was essentially just conceding at the end of that game because they'd gotten so bad for his side. Now they turn around after their sort of dream of going undefeated. And, you know, um, like, I'm not going to say they're totally out of the playoff uh, consideration, but obviously took an enormous hit last week. Now you got to turn around and go to A&M. A&M has not played a Kyle Field in like a month. They had, I, I think it was, it was either two or three true road games and then you had the neutral against uh, Arkansas. There was a bye week in between there. I didn't count up the exact days. They haven't played at home for a really, really long time. They finally get back there. They play better at home. Uh, Appalachian State game, uh, outside of that, you know, uh, toss that one aside. But, like, <laughs> you know, historically, they, they played way better at home. So a good situational spot for them. Um, these two teams play in diametrically opposed ways. Uh, obviously, Ole Miss plays at the crazy offensive tempo. 
Texas A&M, they want to grind the game out and they, they sort of every play, they meander back to the huddle. They sort of meander up to the line. They're going to wait until the, the play clock gets down under five. Um, but like they're, you know, again, diametrically opposed teams, Texas A&M is not concerned whatsoever about the passing game of Mississippi. They could not be less concerned about it. Jackson Dart has stunk this year when he plays legitimate opponents, five interceptions his last four games against SEC opponents, none of them truly elite teams. The four games before that in the non-conference when he was looking okay, their Ole Miss's non-conference was terrible. It was it was as soft as can be for, for an SEC team. When Dart has, has played up in competition, he has played down. Uh, and AM secondary and their pass defense in general is the strength of that defense. Ole Miss all season has leaned heavily into the run game. They run on about 66% of their standard downs. In this game, I think it's going to be over 70 not only do you then take the ball out of Dart's hands, which is going to be the prerogative of Lane Kiffin after watching these four games, you're also going, you're leaning away from the, the strength of the AM defense and then going into the weakness of it. The relative weakness would, would be the, the, the run defense, whatever, but that's going to keep the clock rolling. Similarly, on the other side, Texas AM, their passing game stinks. Their quarterbacks stink. Yeah. They're, they're way worse than Dart. Either have the, the limited veteran Haynes King, or you have the raw and shouldn't be playing right now, Connor Wigman, the true freshman. Maybe he'll be good eventually. We'll see. But then on the outside, as far as receivers, since Anaya Smith has gone down, Texas A&M has zero playmakers at receiver. The entire thing outside uh, boundary or whether it's slot, whatever. The only singular offensive talent that they have left is Devin Achain. Achain, super explosive player. Very fun, very unique player. Um, but he's what 180 pounds soaking wet. Um, he, he can't handle a, <laughs> not million. a guy that's going to carry the load. Exactly. He, sure. he, he can't handle yeah. 40 touches against Ole Miss. He will get pounded with touches in this game for sure. But the whole point being AM is going to lean also into both the running game and the extremely short passing game of the dump off to Autrain, which similarly to Ole Miss's lean in prerogative is going to keep that clock running the entire game. I lean the under on this one for sure. Uh, all right. Anything else? Is there any other games that uh, you have a good lean on or anything that we haven't mentioned here today, Thor, that uh, you've got a pretty good feeling about that we need to hear about? I want to I want to bang the drum for Iowa State again, um, which is which is difficult for me as an as an Iowa graduate. But I think they match up really well against Oklahoma this week at home. The line on this game is only Oklahoma minus one and a half. So there, it, you know, I mean, it, you know, basically a coin flip as far as that goes. My line in this game is Iowa State minus uh, 0.7 points, which, you know, it's not an enormous discrepancy, but my system thinks the wrong team is favored. I certainly think the wrong team is favored after having watched this Oklahoma team as many Love times it. as I have. Yeah, and, and Iowa State is going to be able to shut down Eric Gray. Oklahoma's run game has been okay this year, but that's the strength of the, the Iowa State defense in addition to taking away explosive plays. So Dylan Gabriel is not going to be bailed out by – you know, broken coverage is 60 yards downfield. If that's what it gets to Oklahoma is going to have to work the ball down the field through the very short passing game. They may be able to do that, but do they have the discipline in terms of their play calling on offense to be able to do that? And I know that Iowa state is at least going to be able to move the ball on Oklahoma's really crappy defense with their own short passing game. So both these run defenses, I think match up decently against the opposing running game. So prop angles, I would go under on both the running backs. I would go over on both the quarterbacks completion props, whatever they end up dropping at. Cause I think the short intermediate passing games on both sides is going to be accelerated and amplified in this game and receptions for, for the leading receivers, especially Xavier Hutchinson, but the running back uh, Brock for Iowa state as well. And the Oklahoma kids are, they're going to get the short receptors as well. 
but it, it, you just go straight up proposition on this. I got to take the home dog in, in Iowa State. Not only do I think that they match up pretty well in this game, a tough team going up against this paper soft or this this cotton soft uh, Oklahoma team. Yeah. Um, but you also have Matt Campbell historically going back years and years has been money in the bank as an underdog, even more money in the bank as a home underdog. Awesome against the Big 12 and even more awesome when he is an underdog against the Big 12. Everything lines up Iowa State here. The last time I said that, Iowa State nearly upset Scott Bogman's Texas Longhorns. <laughs> They're getting it done this time and beating Oklahoma. I love it. I love it. All right. That's going to wrap it up for us. Remember, you can follow us on the Twitter at Bogman Sports for myself at Thor KU for Thor. Thor, what is coming up for you uh, this week? What's on docket for the rest of the week? Please check out my Saturday morning show with Mike Farrell, which is uh, like I, we're going to give you value. I absolutely promise you that money back guarantee, even though I don't have to put any money out. But we we absolutely <laughs> will. It starts at 10 a.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Central and goes for an hour and a half up till 30 minutes before the kickoff. We run through as many games as we possibly can with our handicap sides, totals, uh, player props as well. And numerous times throughout the episode, we'll take any question that we get from the audience. So if you have any question whatsoever about a bet you're thinking about, whether it's side total, whether it's a player prop, it can be a random one so far off the board that nobody would would, would know how to respond to you. We will, I promise you. Come in and ask the question. We will respond to it. Check that show out. It's an hour and a half, and, and I think we'll give you value. Check, check that out. And then my uh, Thursday uh, column coming out, uh, my best bets, my 10 best bets of the week. It's actually up. Uh, spoiler alert. It's going to be 11 tomorrow because I could not cut it to 10. So I was like, let's just split the baby. We'll, 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 give, we'll, we'll give out one free one or whatever. Check sure. that out on betting pros tomorrow. Abs- excellent. My article will be also coming out uh, on Thursday. Uh, I think actually it's been coming out Friday morning. So uh, check that out. We're going to be talking about Tennessee, maybe some ASU on there as well. You and Prob- are going to be texting each other during that. Oh, absolutely. Game. It's going to be yeah. a fun game, too. Uh, hopefully, you know, hopefully it pans out for me, for you. If, hopefully if, it pans if, out if ten- for you. T- Tennessee bumps both like the over. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll even see if I show up next week. If they, if they, yeah, if they get whatever. You'll show up. <laughs> Uh, But that is going to wrap it up for us. We will see you guys next week. Good luck. Take it easy, everybody. See ya.